You are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. Hey, Refuge family, what is up? Uh, Good morning, afternoon, evening, Happy New Year, all that good stuff. I'm so excited to be back with you today. I hope you had a Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year. Hope you got to enjoy fireworks and hot chocolate and all the good stuff. Okay, Uh, it's it's 2021, y'all. Happy New Year. Uh, I'm excited about what God has in store for our church this upcoming year, and and I'm excited to get the year started with you. Uh, In addition, I know that, hey, maybe we got some new people starting New Year rhythms and stuff like that. You're trying out church. Maybe you're trying out our church for the first time. We want to say welcome. Thank you for joining us. All right. My name is Josh. I'm the lead pastor here at Refuge. Refuge is a new church in South Austin. And uh, as a new church, we would love to connect with you. And so, hey, uh, if you would just do me a huge favor, pause the video, whatever you need to do, and then go to the video description, right, where we have all the, the content and stuff like that. Find that word connect and next to it, there will be a link. Click on that link or copy and paste it into your browser, whatever you do, and then it's going to pull up a form. If you would fill that out and then send that into us, man, we would deeply appreciate that. We would love to connect with you, learn a little more about you, how we can pray for you, ways we can serve you, and invite you to get involved here in the Refuge family. And so again, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it and we look forward to connecting with you. Now, before we jump in today, I I do uh, have a little bit of information that I want to give you about next week's family gathering, okay? As as many of you know, or as you may have heard today, next week we have our first outdoor gathering. Uh, We're calling it our family gathering. And I wanted to give a couple of updates before we get to next week, primarily being that we uh, are aware and we are tracking uh, the, the COVID surge here in Austin, okay? And in response to that, we are making a couple of adjustments to uh, the family gathering next week. The first one uh, is really that we're scaling down. We had anticipated uh, kind of making a bit of a, a, a larger scale um space for us next week, kind of mimicking how we're going to be setting up in days to come, in months to come. Uh, We decided against that, just to limit the amount of time, the amount of people we have involved in setup and stuff like that. We're going to limit all that, scale it down, so we'll have fewer ministries active and stuff like that, but it's still going to be a fun uh, environment for us to come together uh, and worship together. Now, with that, there is also uh, the, the second update that's connected to that is that we will also be taking increased uh, safety measures, okay? And so what does that mean? Well, first, you can expect to like get a temperature check before you come uh, into the parking lot area with everyone else, like a one-person limit in the bathroom, no coffee or snacks or anything like that. Uh, but then in addition, we're also asking that everyone uh, keep their masks on, that they would stay six feet, that everyone stay six feet apart. I know that we're outside. Maybe that seems excessive to you. I understand. Uh, but at the same time, we want to create an environment that's actually safe. We also want to create an environment that people feel safe, right? And so, yes, maybe some of us feel inconvenienced and frustrated by that, but I want to encourage you. We want to show godly humility, lay down our convenience for the sake of others feeling welcomed into our family, feeling safe to worship with us. That is a godly act. That is gospel ministry, if that makes sense. Uh, And so we want to encourage you to do that. In that same vein, the last thing is regarding children. Now, 
although we will have individual activity packets for our children. As I mentioned earlier, some ministries are not going to be as active, and one of those is Refuge Kids. We won't have any classes. We won't have any child care. So we're encouraging you to keep your children with you the entirety of the gathering. Okay, and so what does it look like? Well, you can bring an iPad. As I mentioned, we have individual uh, like like uh, uh, activity packets and activity bags for your kids, but keep them close by, all that good stuff. Overall, we are excited, despite the fact that I know we're monitoring COVID, we're also monitoring the weather. If there's any adjustments, again, we'll email you, we will communicate with you, social media, all that good stuff. But as of right now, pushing forward, all right, and we're excited to to see you, to worship with you, uh, man, to sit under the word with you, and to share our vision for this upcoming year and what we're praying God is going to do and how you can get involved in seeing our city shaped and transformed with the love of Jesus. Okay, excited, can't wait to see you. Now, let's go ahead and dive into the word. I am excited today. We're introducing a new sermon series uh, called New Mercies, uh, The Gospel in Personal Growth. The gospel and personal growth. Now, you might be asking, why are we talking about personal growth? What does that even mean? And really, like, we're talking about it because it's the new year, right? It's the new year. And so a huge percentage, if not the majority of us, are thinking about uh, who we want to be, thinking about where we want to grow, thinking about what we did well last year, what we did poor last year, what we hope to do well this year, what we hope to avoid doing poorly this year, right? And, and with those thoughts, maybe you're uh, one of the 50% of Americans that has made resolutions. Maybe you don't call them resolutions. Maybe you call them goals, or, or maybe you're not a part of the goals or resolutions crowd. Maybe you are just in your heart wishing that this year you would be more disciplined, more kinder, or more patient, or more successful at work, or at school, or that your house would be more organized, or uh, maybe that you were healthier physically, or emotionally, or spiritually. And hear me, these are all really good things. I am not knocking any of these. I think uh, individually, right, standalone items, ideas, these are all really, really, really good things. But, but, if we're not careful... These resolutions, these goals can also perpetuate a lie about personal growth that directly opposes God's will for us. I want to say that again. Okay, all of these are good things, but if we're not careful, these resolutions, these goals, they can perpetuate a lie about personal growth uh, that directly opposes God's desires for our lives. What do I mean? Well, what I mean is this. We live in a culture where personal growth is more closely linked with comfort than with character. Hear me again. Personal growth in our culture is more linked with comfort than with character. Think about the list of wishes that I just shared with you. Right? I, I wish that I was more disciplined. It's probably so that I have less stress. Uh, I wish I was kinder or more patient. It's probably so I'd have less uh, relational strife. I wish uh, I was more accomplished at work or at school, it's probably so that I could uh, prolong or push away any thoughts of financial stress or need. I wish my house was more organized. It's probably so I could just have a more comfortable living scenario. Or I wish I was uh, healthier physically, emotionally, spiritually, probably just uh, so that I could prolong, push away any type of negative uh, either thoughts or maybe illnesses, stuff like that. Again, all these things are good. Right. None of those more peace. Right. More relational unity, uh, more uh, health, prolonged life. These are things that are good things. The end game and end pursuit of our hearts is the thing that I'm referencing. 
right? In the way I just broke that down, the end game for all of those wishes and desires is just not experiencing anything bad. It's just trying to avoid discomfort at all costs, right? It's the lie that if I can grow personally, then I'll basically never be uncomfortable again, right? It's the lie that if I can grow personally, then I'll never need anything or maybe never need anyone again. Uh, It's the lie that, that I can insulate my heart from discomfort, from pain, from need. Uh, friends, we live in a culture where personal growth is more closely linked to comfort than it is character. And what makes this worse is that we tend to project this attitude onto God, right? And so whenever uh, hard things happen, we begin to, to kind of believe this thought that God's main desire for us is our comfort. And so if something hard happens, then we start automatically indexing every action and thinking to ourselves, uh, what did I do wrong to earn this bad thing? And if we index far enough and don't find anything, then automatically uh, the judge and jury gets pointed at God to figure out, like, hey, what have you done wrong then? Right. Like, like this is it's horrible. It corrupts our, our view of the father and really just, again, is completely contradictory to what God wants to do in our life. It's a belief that leaves us empty and bitter in the hardest and most difficult times of our lives. Um, Yet the scripture, hear me, the scriptures offer us a completely different view on this. They offer us a completely different view, a different view of change, a different view of pain, a different view of need, a different view of maturity, of responsibility, a completely different view, hear me, of personal growth, a completely different view of personal growth. And so over the next four weeks, minus our family gathering, we're going to take a break for, uh, from the series for that week. Uh, we're going to dive into four aspects of personal growth. We're going to talk about the context of personal growth, meaning like the setting, okay, where personal growth happens. We're going to talk about the purpose of personal growth. We're going to talk about the obstacles to personal growth and then the tools of personal growth. Okay, and through all of it, I want us to see how the gospel is actually redefining this idea of personal growth. And how this redefinition is actually pointing us to things like godly character, faith, joy, hope, far more than it's pointing us to comfort. Okay, so today we're starting with the context of growth. In other words, the setting of of personal growth, where it happens. And here's what I hope we take away from today. That personal growth takes place in both the highs and the lows of real life. Personal growth takes place in the highs and the lows of real life. It takes place in the ebb and flow of, of life, in the, in the highs and the lows, in the mountains, the valleys, those dark nights and the hopeful mornings. It takes place there. Okay, And to help us grasp this idea, we're going to work through Ecclesiastes 3. Okay, we're going to work through Ecclesiastes 3. We're going to break down that text into two parts to really help us understand this idea uh, uh, of the, the setting for personal growth. The first is the reality of the context or the reality of the setting, a.k.a. the reality of life's ups and downs. Right. That's the setting that that we find personal growth in that we're able to actually grow. We want to be comfortable with that reality. We want to understand it so it's not blindsiding us okay the other thing is that from there we want to talk about the purpose of the context meaning uh the purpose or not the purpose but the way god is actually working in the ups and the downs of our lives okay how god is working the ups and downs of our lives 
So I'm excited about this series in general. I'm excited about today. I want to go ahead and dive in and get started. Uh, We're going to be in Ecclesiastes 3, reading verses 1 through 9. I'm going to be in the CSB version. You can read along in whatever translation version that you have, but the CSB will be on the screen if you want to read along. Okay, we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We're going to start with the first nine verses. Let's go ahead and dive in. Uh, Let's go. Verse 1, chapter 3. There is an occasion for everything and a time for every activity under heaven, a time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to avoid embracing, a time to search and a time to count as lost, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What does the worker gain from his struggles? Amen. Before we move on, will you join me in a short prayer over our time in the word? Uh, Father, thank you so much for your word. I ask that you would speak to us during this time in your word. Bless it. Empty me. Let me only speak your word and let us receive from your word today. We pray these things in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. All right. So let's jump into uh, the, the reality of the context. All right. If if there is a setting, uh, a, a setting where personal growth happens, we want to understand it. Okay, we want to dive into learning about it, the reality of it. And uh, Ecclesiastes is perfect for that, if I'm being honest. As we jump into Ecclesiastes today, uh, we pick up uh, the words of the author, uh, uh, an individual named Kohelet. And we don't know who Kohelet is exactly. Some people think it's Solomon, the king. Uh, Some people think it's another uh, prophet or priest. Other people uh, think it's kind of just like a made-up figure, like a literary figure, a person of fiction from in the writing. For our purposes today, we're not really too concerned about who Kohelet is. Rather, we're interested in what Kohelet is saying. Okay, In the book of Ecclesiastes, Kohelet is introducing us to the harsh reality of this world. Specifically, uh, the reality of li- the reality of uh, life, if what we see, the material world, is all that there is. Okay, if all we have is what we see, then we are in for a harsh, ruthless, unforgiving reality. I love the way uh, pastor and uh, and commentary writer Daniel Aiken sums this up in his commentary. Uh, he says it like this. So far in Ecclesiastes, that's the first two chapters, so far in Ecclesiastes, the author has taught that if this cursed world is all there is, then all of our actions in this life are futile. We do things that don't matter, and then we die. In that reality, nothing in which you look to for meaning and nothing you turn to in to distract yourself from the harsh realities of life really works. Pleasure will not satisfy human longings, neither will wisdom or work or a lot of money or any of the things we expend so much energy chasing. And so when we get to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, Kohelet really continues building out this idea, saying that there is an occasion for everything. There is a time for everything, a time for birth or to birth and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to embrace and a time not to embrace, right? My man's hitting real close to home with the pandemic. 
Okay, and, and check out Kohelet's list. See, he's building out this this idea of of the entirety of life. The entire it's it's a it's a literary technique called mirrorism. You oftentimes hear this when you hear someone say, "Hey, we looked high and low." It's it's painting two extremes so that you can say, "Hey, I'm capturing the fullness of everything." I looked high and I looked low and I looked everywhere in between. And Kohelet breaks down four different extremes to try to paint this picture that the whole of life is filled with every moment. You are not going to escape life without us without interacting with almost all of not not almost all of these things and everything in between. And the unique thing about Kohelet's list, though, check this out, is that all these experiences, all these actions, he doesn't judge any of them. Okay, he doesn't label any of them good or any of them bad, any of them punishments or any of them rewards. He simply lays out, this is the reality of life. Do you want to live life? If you want to live, this is the way it is. You're going to encounter all of these things. And Kohelet's list tells us two, what I believe are two deep and, and important, powerful truths. The first is actually encouraging, and it's that in a broken world, pain isn't punishment. Hear me again, in a broken world, pain is not punishment. Okay, now hear me, what I'm not saying is that there are no consequences to our actions. Okay, the Bible doesn't teach that, I'm not saying that. We occasionally do, um, do something dumb. Right, and then experience the consequences of those actions, right? A hundred percent. Rather, that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that when it comes to pain, every single time pain comes into our frame, okay, we shouldn't be looking to the sky at some vengeful God who's buzzing us every time we do something wrong, right? It's not a karma system where if I jaywalk, then I all of a sudden I trip at the end of the jaywalk and it was all together. That's not the way um, scripture breaks this down. In a broken world, pain isn't punishment. It's kind of just a part of life. It's kind of just a part of life the same way pleasure is. But second, and kind of connected to that, is that if this world is all we long for, okay, if, if all this stuff is happening and, and, you know, the good and the bad and everything in between, and if this world is all we long for, then emptiness is all we're going to know. Okay, if this world is all we long for, then emptiness is all we're going to know. What do I mean? Look at the text. For every pleasure, there's also like a pain. For every good, there's like a bad. For every one, there's like a negative one, right? Uh, Alistair Begg, a pastor, he, he says this really cool. He says, there's like 14 pluses and 14 minuses, and at the end, it all equals zero, right? And the thing is, there's no, there's no circumventing around the bad and only getting the good. We don't have the ability to be like, I want these and not these. We don't have that, we don't have that, that power. They are inevitably coming, both, right? It's just the reality of life. Whatever we hoped to build, one day it's going to fall. What we enjoy one day, another day we're going to lose. What we hope is remembered by some, eventually is going to be forgotten by others. And this is often, I think, the source, right, of of the emptiness we feel, right? This truth is often the source of our emptiness, because you've probably been here. You ever been here? Right, let's think about it like this. You watch 15 seasons of something on Netflix, right? You watch 150,000 episodes of something on Netflix, and then the show gets like the last season, you get a little anxious, and then it gets to the last episode, it finishes, and you feel lost inside, 
Right, you feel lost. You start thinking about those characters the next day. You're kind of like missing and wishing you can go back to the old days, right? Wish you could have new stories with them and new times. Let's be real. Some of us don't know what to do with our lives since The Office left Netflix, right? Let's just be honest about things. And that's just something small, like a television show. It's much harder when it's a loved one. Somebody that you spent time with, that you built relationship with. Somebody that you care about, that has cared about you, that you derived joy, hope, love from. And then all of a sudden, in the snap of a finger, from one day to the next, they're gone. And all you have is a picture to miss them and to long for them. It's much harder when it's a dream, a hope, some place that you saw your life going. Uh, somewhere you wanted to be, experiences you thought and, and believed wholeheartedly you were going to have, and then in the snap of a finger, you have to say goodbye to them. You have to let go of them. Let go of all those experiences you imagined, all those, those opportunities you imagined, because you had to say bye to the dream. It's much harder, friends, when it's something we've placed hope in, something we've placed joy in, something we've derived joy and hope from, that we've placed our life in, that we've derived really some life from, Then when it crumbles, the scary thing is that so does our hope and so does our joy. And in in some cases, so does our entire life. And here's here's the thing, friend. When, when, when When these momentary pleasures are the only things that are motivating our change, like we talked about earlier, right? Like I want to personally grow so that I can have these momentary pleasures of life. Then, then the, the, the motivations of, those, of, the, of that growth, the motivation of those changes is, is fickle, right? It's, it's fleeting. It's flimsy. In other words, when the only aim of personal growth is momentary pleasure, the motivation to grow only lasts as long as the pleasure itself. I really want you to hear what I'm saying here, so I'm going to say it again. When the only aim of personal growth is momentary pleasure, the motivation to grow only lasts as long as the pleasure itself. The growth, the motivation, the, the foundation of that growth is empty. It's dated. It's weak. And, and oftentimes, if we're accompanying it with our hope and our joy, so is our hope. So is our joy. Right, this is the reality of, of, of where we're supposed to grow. Surrounded by these hills and surrounded also by these valleys, surrounded by these highs and lows, and we're expected to navigate through them, guaranteed that we're going to get into each and every one of them. That's where we're at. That's what this life is. That's what living in this broken world is. So what do we do? How do we grow in this? Because, Josh, you said that that personal growth happens in the highs and the lows. So where do we go from here? What do we do? How do we get to where you're talking about? And friends, this is where we transition to the next part. Because once we understand the reality of the context, the reality of the setting that God has for us to, to grow us and to build us, then we can understand the purpose of the context or how he's working in it. Okay, check this out. Check this out. The purpose of the context, I'm going to take us to Ecclesiastes 3. 11 through 14. So it's just like one verse from where we finished up. Okay, in 11, it says, He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also put eternity in their hearts, but no one can discover the work God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and enjoy the good life. 
but it is also the gift of God whenever anyone eats, drinks, and enjoys all his efforts. I know that everything God does will last forever. There is no adding to it or taking from it. God works so that people will be in awe of him. Friends, I want you to take a look at something that I think is really important in this text. It's really going to set the stage for everything else we're going to talk about. At the beginning in verse at the beginning of verse 11, it says he, who is he? It's God. It's God. And it says he, God, has made everything, what is everything? This entire list of stuff appropriate in its time. That God himself has has allowed has brought to, has made appropriate everything in this list. Not just the good, not only the bad, all of it. Friends, here's the daring, the the thought that this dares us to have, is that what if everything that's happened to you, okay, hear me, what if everything that's happened to you, the moments of pain and the moments of joy, the moments of heartache and the moments of healing were all allowed by and took place in the hands of a loving, caring, compassionate, wise God, a God who sees the beginning uh, and the end, a God who desires to to instill and to create lasting, uh, eternal things inside of you, who understands the great difference between momentary pleasures and eternal eternal hope, eternal joy for your good. He wants, he surrounds you in this setting of highs and he surrounds you in this setting of lows and he guides you through the ebb and the flow. He guides you through the mountain and the valley. He guides you through the night and the morning all so that he can work something good in you. What if that's actually what's happening, but we just can't see it? What if that's what's actually happening, but we just struggle to see it in the midst of the hurt, in the midst of the pain? I love how a pastor and author Matt Chandler described this in a sermon one time. He said, I don't get to choose my ingredients, a.k.a. my experiences. I don't see well enough. See, if I could choose what I wanted, I would choose all the good things and none of the bad things. None of the things that sting, that hurt, that bother me, none of the things that stretch me, I would take only the good. The thing is, though, God loves me too much to let that happen. You see, people who are never stretched, people who never hurt, people who never mourn, they usually turn out to be self-centered, spoiled, rotten, vicious people. And God loves me too much to let that happen working in for our good, working in eternal things for our good. And and I know right now what you may be thinking is like, dude, how could what's happened to me be loving? How could what's happened to me possibly be for my good? You don't know what's happened to me and you don't know the pain that it's caused and the hurt that it's caused. And hear me, I, I, I hear you, okay? I hear you, but but can I briefly, and you're right, I don't know what's happened to you. I'm speaking right now into a camera, but can I at least just encourage you what I hope is encouraging to you? I want you to take a look at verse 11 again. In verse 11, it says, he has made everything appropriate in its time. We already read that. And then it goes on to say, he has also put eternity in their hearts 
but no one can discover the work God has done from beginning to end. Friend, can I just pose a question to you? Friend, what if you just haven't seen the end? What if you just haven't seen all of what he's doing in your life? None of us have. Hear me, none of us have. I haven't seen it all in my life. What if on this side of eternity, in this life, the goal wasn't to give us what we wanted, wasn't to give us the things that we thought were best or the things we thought were the most comfortable or the things we thought would bring us the most happiness, but rather to create a longing in our hearts for something more? What if the goal on this side of eternity was to, was to create a longing in our hearts for something better, for something that actually was more satisfying, something that was actually more pleasing, that was actually more healing, that was actually more full than whatever we could have gotten in this life on this side of eternity? It makes me think about what the, the great author C.S. Lewis said when he said, a man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. Friends, there are moments where crooked lines make us long for straight lines. There are times when pain makes us long for pleasure, where hurt makes us long for healing, where death makes us long for life. But there's only one place any of those things are found in truth, and it's in Jesus when we understand uh, that, that it's life that, that is found in Jesus, that it's joy that's found in Jesus, then this life, the ebbs and the flows and the highs and the lows and the nights and the mornings, they all serve as a compass that points us back to something better. Right, when we begin to long for hope, long for joy, long for peace, when we begin to long for those things, we begin to realize that what we're longing for can't be found, and we begin to, to wonder and to question if something is better. And then we begin to long, as we begin to learn the truth of who Jesus is, we begin to long for him. And friends, that's where personal growth actually starts. Friends, because personal growth is longing for Jesus more than this world and our own desires. I want to say that to you again. Personal growth is longing for Jesus more than this world and our own desires. When we long for Jesus more than this world, then what this world has to offer begins to lose its luster. Right? When we long for Jesus more than our own desires, then our own desires begin to lose their appeal in favor of this beautiful Savior who actually is all so much better than anything that we could gain from here, from this life, from this earth, from this world, from, from these ups or from these downs. You see, friend, when we begin to long for Jesus, we begin to long for the source of the things that we're actually longing for. Right, And those longings, hear me, hear me, those longings, they won't go unmet. He's promised to satisfy them himself. How loving is that? That God would use the ups and the downs in order to steer our desires, in order to point our affections, in order to point our attention onto the only thing that will actually meet and satisfy the deepest part of our hearts. Because he himself promised and actually guaranteed that he would satisfy them. You see, it's actually Jesus who left the, the perfect joy, the perfect hope, the perfect splendor, the perfect happiness, the perfect peace of glory and heaven and entered into the reality of brokenness with you and me. 
And it's from that perfect peace, it's from that perfect beauty that he stepped into these fleeting moments of life, these fleeting moments of laughter, these fleeting moments of peace and of joy like you and me go through all the time, but also stepped into the same moments of mourning and the same moments of sorrow and the same moments of pain and the same moments of hurt that you and I go through all the time as well. And even more because he he took on the, the deepest and darkest parts of brokenness when he was spat on, when he was when he was mocked, when he was uh, cruelly beaten, and then he ultimately killed on the cross. Also that we who should only know the dark reality of this world could now find hope in him uh, of a new world of a new world where where joy and hope and peace and love, all the things that we're longing for so deeply are actually set in stone forever unshakable and will leave us satisfied and whole all the days of our lives. Right, where treasures never rot away, where life never stops, where peace never ceases, personal growth is longing for Jesus more than this world and our own desires. Friends, every moment of our lives is meant to to point us and to draw our gaze back to Jesus. Every emotion is meant to, to, to draw our affections back to Jesus. Every joy is meant to draw our attention back to Jesus. Every single thing in our lives, in the high moments and in the low moments, are meant to draw our attention back. Right, Every high moment is meant to show us the greater treasure we have waiting for us in glory because of what Jesus has done for us. And every low moment is meant to draw our attention and make us long for the good things that Jesus has given us through his work on the cross. It's in him that we find hope that doesn't fail, joy that doesn't fail. It's in him that we find motivation to change, motivation to grow that doesn't fail because it's only him himself that doesn't fail. I hope you just, I hope you like praising God a little bit right now. Man, it, uh, it reminds me of the story, or not the story, the life. As I was preparing, this reminded me of the life of uh, Mr. Horatio Spafford. Some of you guys may know who that is, others not, and that's completely okay. Uh, Horatio Spafford was a Chicago businessman, lawyer, and he was actually an elder at his church as well. Um, And in 1871, the year of the Great Chicago Fire, a fire that erupted in Chicago and burnt three square miles of the city, uh, Horatio Spafford lost almost everything, his business, home. It nearly ruined him financially, uh, and that was almost the greatest tragedy of his entire life. Almost. Two years later, in 1873, he boarded his wife and four daughters on a boat to England. I believe it was to visit family, if I'm not mistaken. And during the trip, the boat ended up crashing into another boat, resulting in uh, the Spafford's boat sinking rapidly, killing actually all four daughters and leaving just the wife rescued. Upon receiving the news, he obviously was hurt, was broken. He got on a boat to join his wife and comfort her in her mourning. And it's said that as he was passing over the location of his daughter's death, he wrote the beginning lines to one of the most cherished Christian hymn of all time. It's said that over that very space, he began to write, When peace 
like a river attendeth my way when sorrows like sea billows roll whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say it is well it is well with my soul but if you're anything like me you got a question how could it have been well how could it have been well in Spafford's heart when he was letting go of all those, those smiles that he would not see on this side of eternity again, of those laughs he would not hear, of those dreams of walking his daughters down the aisle that he would never get a chance to, uh, those, those moments of, of, of joy that he had with his family surrounding him. How could it have been well with his soul when something so deep to his heart was now missing how could everything be well with his soul? And I deeply believe, friend, based on the words of this hymn, that the truth of why he was well was because he knew that every joy, that every hope, that every laugh, that every moment of, 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 of happiness, that every moment of hope was actually just a faint echo, was actually just, just, just a, a compass piece that was supposed to point him to the true hope, to the true joy, to the true happiness, to the true laughter, to the true life that Jesus had promised to him and to his daughters when he took the cross and said because I have paid for what you have done you now can receive what I have earned and so in that moment I'm sure that though Spafford was broken he was able to look and know what I, what my daughters are taking part in now is far greater and what I will soon join and share with them will outweigh everything that we've lost in this moment it reminds me of what Paul said when he simply said to live is Christ but to die to die is gain and so how could it be well friends because Jesus his love his affection his work consoled the deepest part the deepest part of Spafford, the deepest part of Horatio Spafford was consoled by the truth that Jesus' love had overcome the deepest and darkest parts of his life, the deepest and darkest parts of his daughter's life, and the hope that they were now experiencing, the joy, the, the, the life that they were now experiencing was far greater than what they would have gained on this side of eternity anyway. Friends, it's my prayer that as we prepare for this year, as we walk into this year, we're beginning 2021 as a community, uh, as, as individuals. It is my prayer uh, that we consider, uh, that as we consider where we want to go and who we want to be, that we would value every moment that God is giving us. That we would look out at this landscape of highs and lows in our life and that we would realize that God has given each one of them to us in order to point us, in order to direct us back to the, to the place where, where our hearts will find their truest satisfaction and that's in Him. It's in that setting, it's in that environment, it's in that context that we actually are able to grow. Where, where, where the things of this world, where the, the, the pleasures of today, where the momentary pleasures of right now begin to lose their luster and our hearts begin to desire something far better, it's in that context that we find true gospel, real personal growth, friends. 
That's what I'm hoping and longing for for us as a community. That's what I want for you as we walk into 2021. Now, before we leave, I have one application just before we head out, before we pray. And that's, uh, I want to encourage you that, that after this sermon, as we, as we move through the rest of this uh, sermon series, thinking about how the gospel is at work in our personal growth, I want to encourage us uh, through this series, but hopefully to build a habit of praying grateful prayers of praying grateful prayers. If you are in high times, I'm hoping that you will pray with a deep sense of gratitude to God that, that as, as Ecclesiastes said, right, that, that it is God's gift to those who eat and drink and, and partake in life. But if you're in low moments, if you're in valley moments in your life, that you would pray and thank God that he has not left you. That, that these hardships and these pains are not a sign of his absence, but rather a sign of his strong hand guiding us through these most difficult moments in order to draw our attention back to the only thing that will satisfy the deepest longings of our hearts, and that is himself. Friends, I'm praying that, that we would be grateful for God's mercy and his love, even in times when, when we struggle to be grateful for the the valleys that we're looking at. I'm, I'm praying that we can pray grateful prayers. In addition, I am praying that this series would, would be a blessing to us. I'm excited about the next few weeks. I am praying that, that um, it would prepare our hearts over the course of this year and over the course of our lives to grow in faith, hope, and love uh, and really just build a, a, a beautiful culture of of joy and of, of really beautiful culture of seeking after Jesus in our church and uh, in us individually. And so I love y'all. I'm going to go ahead and pray and finish up and then we will uh, jump into a last song of worship and then I'll come and give our benediction like our final blessing. Father, thank you so much for your word. I thank you as we think about our own desires to grow and we think about how it is that we grow and where it is that we grow and, and the, the setting that we, you put us in in order to grow us and to build us. We oftentimes in our heart desire to shy away from the pain and only go toward the good. Yet you promise us that it is like in the it is it is in both. It's not in one or the other, but it is in both that you continuously build up and show us the source and, and, and the character of the only one who actually satisfies our soul, and that's you. I love you. I thank you. I pray that, that as we learn about this setting, that we would go into the next few weeks desiring to grow um, in, in your likeness, desiring to grow into more of your character, uh, longing for the day where we are reunited with you permanently for all time uh, and enjoy your reign over our lives physically and in every way we can imagine. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys. Thank you for listening. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith.